Hello, hello. This is the Swix Mixtape, and we are back from a long weekend where I got my COVID booster jab. So it took me out completely for the whole weekend, and that's why I'm still struggling to get back on the horse a little bit. But I am doing my best, so we will keep moving. And today's episode is going to be about the economics of Peloton, uh, the good side of Peloton story before everything went to shit. So I always struggled to understand hardware businesses, but this is an interesting mix of hardware plus software plus content business, which I think is very well explained in the recent Acquired episode on it. So here's a quick 15-minute snippet. Um, Not the most concise I can make it, but it's what I can do on the limited time that I have. So I'll see you on your side. 2019, people start talking about... Everybody in Silicon Valley knows this is a great business now. People start talking about an IPO going public, which happens in September 2019. But leading up to that, there's kind of an issue with the business that they got to sort out, (laughs) which is uh, earlier in 2019, they get sued for first $150 million and then they up it to $300 million by the music publishers, National Music Publishers Association, uh, because they're obviously using all this music as part of the classes at Peloton and they didn't have proper sync licenses. Yes. So this is my one of my larger bear cases for Peloton. So uh, music licensing and gross margins, uh, a, a, a treacherous tale. Well, if you look at Peloton's income statement today and, and across recent quarters, so we're, we're at sort of a relative point of maturity here, uh, about a third of the revenue that comes from subscription, so not like the physical bike sales, but if you just look at the subscription revenue, a third of that goes to cost of revenue. And while we don't know for sure, it's very likely that the majority of this goes to music licensing. So even though investors love a good subscription business, uh, this is not 86% gross margin like SaaS is. It's more like 66% gross margins. So a little examination. Why do we think that this mostly goes to music? Well, in part, the variable cost for everything else should be pretty low. I mean, maybe bandwidth is probably the next highest cost for for streaming video. I have some particular beef uh, as a pedantic person with the video that they do stream. I find it to be too low frame weight, too low frame rate, uh, to have some motion blur, to be a little bit compressed. But all that aside, it's still expensive to stream video. Now, do you know, do they put um, content production cost in variable costs here too? I don't know if that is in the cost of revenue for the subscription. I would guess not. I would guess they would put that uh, down in in either GNA or I don't know. It might be in there, but you know, I, I and I don't. I don't know. I haven't dug in deep enough to know, but I don't think it's that expensive relative to the amount of subscription revenue they get. We'll get into powers later and scale economies and all that. But my understanding is that the top Peloton instructors make like five hundred k to a million. Yeah, I think that's about right. And then obviously you've got all the production costs around that, but like still compared to you know hundreds of millions of uh, of subscription annual revenue that's a drop in the bucket totally so okay let, let's assume that the largest part of this 33 percent of cost of revenue is is to pay for music so why is the music so expensive well if you remember from our taylor swift episode there's a bunch of different types of licenses and unlike spotify yes, i knew you were gonna get into this <laughs> or the radio 
Peloton actually requires multiple licenses for the particular way that they use the music. So first, uh, Peloton, I think, is technically just like the radio, a live performance. So uh, live performance royalties must paid out, be paid out. And if you are curious for how those are paid out, go listen to the Taylor Swift episode where we talk about the difference between the publishing rights holder and the performance master right holder. Uh, but they also need a sync license in addition to synchronize those songs with the video content. Yeah, if you're gonna, you know, use a license in a commercial or a movie, exactly. And just as a quick aside, an aside from an aside, the interesting bit about sync licenses is they require the approval both of the sort of songwriter, the person with the publishing right, and the performing artist who owns or or whose label owns the master right. So there's a lot of people who can say, no, I don't grant you a sync right, which is why in this lawsuit that you're referencing, David, when Peloton did end up pulling a bunch of stuff off of uh, the service, which a lot of people were really upset about, it was weird because say you're like, wait, but some of this artist's songs are on there and some rides with those artist's songs got removed. And that's because those songs had different songwriters behind them. Yeah. Ah, so many people with veto power. What a Byzantine industry. Crazy, right? Okay. But back to sort of this like gross margin problem. So according to a piece uh, uh, from Tricordist, which is a music industry site, Peloton pays out 3.1 cents every time that you are on a ride and hear a song. That number should actually sound pretty high to you because that's meaningfully larger than what we talked about on the Taylor Swift episode per stream. So let's take that 3.1 3.1 cents. If you ride every day, and people don't ride every day, but I think people ride about 20 days or they use the the, the product about 20 times per month. But let's say you ride every day and assume there's about 10 songs per ride. And I went back through my recent rides and looked, that's about right. That's $9 of your subscription revenue that is going straight to music. So if you're on the bike subscription, that's like 23% of your subscription that you're paying to Peloton goes immediately to the labels, which kind of checks our math above that the biggest part of that, that you know, one third of the cost of revenue is actually for music. Now, of course, if you're on the digital only subscription, that's really high because if that's only $13 a month, if you're actually using that thing every day, I assume the royalty structure is similar. It may be the case that Peloton is large enough that they've negotiated a specific revenue share, you know, somewhere between 15, 25, 30%, something like that uh, with the music labels rather than needing to pay out a fixed amount per song. Because if it's a fixed amount per song, then they could get underwater pretty quick on that digital only subscription. God, the parallels to Spotify are just like amazing with like the two different tiers of customer experiences and like vastly different implications of that for their backend costs. A hundred percent. I mean, it is, uh, okay. You, you're leading the, the horse to water. I'm the horse. Here's the water. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh. because there are very real marginal costs in this business, just like Spotify at the end of the day, this actually does have the same incentives that a gym membership would have, like an old school gym membership, which is sign you up, keep you subscribed, but really no incentives for you to actually go to the gym all the time. They kind of want you to do the minimum amount, like 
to stay subscribed, like stay engaged enough with us, but don't cost us any money. You know, we want to like minimize the amount that we have to pay the music labels on your behalf, which is interesting. So I was thinking about this, you know, like prepping for the episode and I slept on it. When I woke up this morning, I kind of realized because they're bragging about in their all their earning stuff, increasing user engagement over time and having internal KPIs around, we want people to use the service. I sort of came to this conclusion that they have to have a pre-negotiated revenue split with the music labels rather than paying per stream because Peloton could end up in a really tough position if their own incentives are for you to stay subscribed but not ride. So I bet they did some kind of like blanket license type thing where, you know, 20% or 25% or whatever it is ends up of all subscription revenue, no matter what ends up going to the labels. Well, if they don't have that, they probably have a new CEO who could help make that happen. (laughs) (laughs) Very much so. Very much so. Uh, If they don't, they should. And now they probably can. Yes. One last like quick piece of math, just to underscore the gravity of this. I ran the math on what it would cost Spotify to pay the labels for the same amount of music listening time based on the data that we used in the Taylor Swift episode. So, you know, 15 hours across a month. So I was thinking the same as like, you know, a 30 minute ride every day for a month. And instead of the $9 that I sort of estimate that Peloton has to pay, Spotify is closer to like a buck 20. Wow. That's massively different. That sync right and the performance licenses, very expensive. So, you know, Barry is definitely used to the Spotify world of we we pay a pittance to, to you know, the, the labels and the artists. And in this world, because of the license structure, it's a meaningful part of COGS. One way to look at it is it's a meaningful part of COGS and sort of in the, the bear lens. Another way to look at it is like, Artists should really embrace Peloton. <laughs> yes, very much so. What you got to wonder is that part of what's driving like the Taylor Ride series and the Beyonce Ride series, and the, Peloton is notoriously very collaborative with the most popular artists. So, September 2019, they've settled this lawsuit. They figured things out, at least with the sync licenses. Uh, they go public. The IPO happens. S1 hits. Fiscal year 2019, so fiscal year ends June 30th, as I've said. So for the 12 months leading up to June 30, 2019, they did revenue of $915 million. For a five-year-old company, that is, or a five-year product that's been in market for five years, that is impressive. That is up over 100% from $435 million the year before. Of that $915 million, $181 million is subscription revenue, which is up from 80 million the year before. So growing even faster. Um, We already talked about the margins on the subscription revenue. Interestingly, the hardware revenue, connected fitness products is the segment they call it, also about a 40% gross margin. So this is the benefit of raising the price $1,000. Right, right. They actually make pretty good margins on selling the bike itself. So uh, I couldn't find this mostly because I was scrambling for just the last day to put together everything we did learn. Um, if you have data on this, please come and share it with us. Acquire.fm slash Slack, and we would love to talk about this. 
I remember around the time of their IPO seeing some analysis that said that they basically were break even on the bike if you add in customer acquisition costs. So the cost of manufacturing the bike and delivering it and all that, plus the the cost to acquire, which was really expensive. You know, they're in these malls, they're sending you a ton of social media ads. They're really trying to convince you, you know, they're putting on Super Bowl commercials, <laughs> which we'll get to. They're putting on other commercials where people are in these multi-million dollar homes riding in fancy places. It's expensive to, you know, convince people to do this new behavior. And uh, I think the the plan at the time is like, okay, don't, just don't lose money acquiring a customer when we sell them a bike. And as long as we're kind of break even on that, then we can make a lot of money on the subscriptions. So I actually did do a little modeling on this. Now, this is don't take this as gospel because I'm mixing time periods here and it's hard to hard to know exactly. So this is not like a sharp pencil. This is back of the envelope modeling. And these are pandemic numbers. So may not be may not be applicable anymore. But in the most recent full fiscal year, which ended June 30, 2021, they spent $730 million on sales and marketing. Uh, and they added about 1.4 million gross ads on subscribers. Uh, so now I'm assuming that like all those are bikes, obviously not. A lot of those are digital subscriptions, et cetera, but let's just make it simple. So CAC on that is $521 per gross subscriber added. That is to your point, a lot of money. <laughs> mm-hmm. That is a lot. That is a very, very high CAC, $521 per new subscriber. Not in the B2B world, but it's almost unheard of in B2C. Like getting a consumer, like paying $500 for a consumer, like no one does this. If you go out and, you know, put that in your pitch deck around Silicon Valley, like (laughs) you're going to have to have a very high LTV. Well, (laughs) now at the $1,895, $1,895 price point for the bike, which is what it was until they started doing crazy stuff with their pricing. <laughs> uh, but they had lowered it from the $2,245 to $1,895. At a 40% gross margin on that hardware, that's $758. So they're more than making their money back. Right. They're making they're making a little, maybe a, a hundred, couple hundred bucks total on each bike. Yep. They're making... They're making some amount of contribution margin on the bike um but then you attach the subscription which you know with the crazy low churn rates that they have the implied lifetime 40 dollars a month is over 10 years 66 percent gross margin right let's cap it at five years for a customer lifetime because 10 years is too crazy let's assume that that's not going to happen at 40 dollars a month that's two thousand three hundred and forty dollars in subscription revenue over five years wow so yeah, it's a pretty dang good business. <laughs> Interestingly, at the IPO, happens right after the whole WeWork debacle, which we covered on this show with Dan Primack, also a big Peloton fan. Uh, at the time, that was that was fun. Um, the IPO is, is not a good one. Uh, prices around $8 billion, but then trades down 11% on opening to a $7.2 billion market cap so we're talking like 7x trailing 12 months revenue but like this company's growing over 100 percent a year so you know 3x forward revenue with pretty good unit economics that we just discussed like interesting 
Yeah, and this is in an era too where you don't have a lot of busted IPOs. So this is you know before COVID, but it was still pretty go-go times for these tech businesses. A little uh, disconcerting that that traded down from their IPO price. Indeed, indeed. And then they don't really help things shortly after the IPO and the holiday season 2019 rolls around. Wait, wait, wait. Before we before we get to the Peloton ad, can I clarify something on, can you give me the numbers again on the cost to acquire customer and their LTV, just because I want to hold that in my head as we continue through here. Okay, so rough, rough numbers, 500, 520 bucks to acquire a customer. And l- let's say they are break even to slightly profitable on that with the hardware and then $2,340 of lifetime revenue, assuming a five-year okay, so customer lifetime. 2300 of LTV. And is that contribution or is that... That's revenue. So then two-thirds of that per your analysis is contribution. Okay. So we're looking at something in the neighborhood of like $1,500 of contribution on the subscription, even if we cap it at five years. So every single person they acquire, not only are they break even or probably a little profitable just by selling them a bike, but then they make another fifteen hundred plus dollars in pure profit by retaining them over time. Yep. Yep. So for the techie people that follow this podcast, some of those finance accounting terms may have flown over your head a little bit. Uh, talked a little bit about contribution margin, contribute about CAC versus LTV, definitely know all those terms. Something they didn't really talk about is payback period, which uh, in this case doesn't matter because they get everything upfront in cash when they buy the bike. So uh, I think this is a very simple way to learn unit economics. Uh, probably doesn't get easier than this, but it gives you all the basic components to understand. 